Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. We thank the Lord for each and every one of you that found your way here to the uh, studio at GMFC. Uh, we're so thankful to the Lord for uh, this coming week. This week we are preparing to uh, be in Detroit with all of our brothers and sisters in Great or in Greater Emmanuel. I um, mean, we're excited about this, our 62nd Holy Convocation uh, in Detroit, where the host pastor is Bishop Celestine Todd. And we're just excited because we believe through these last weeks of prayer and preparation for our Holy Convocation that great things are going to happen. We're going to be fed in a mighty and dynamic way that the Spirit of the Lord is not only going to be with us, but lives are going to be changed. Doors are going to be opened. People are going to come and they're going to leave in a whole different type of um, feeling and not just emotion, but reality because the Spirit of the Lord is going to be with us, going to minister. I, I sense revival is at hand and I'm excited about what God is going to do so if you don't have nothing to do next week and you're listening and you're in the area of Detroit, I encourage you, come on down and celebrate the Lord with us Tuesday through Friday night, all day, all night. We're going to go and stand before the Lord and just have a glorious time. Hallelujah. And we're excited about that. We, and we thank God for this opportunity. We're praying for safe travel for all those delegates that are traveling from various places throughout the country. Um, we're praying for our brothers and sisters in our uh, churches in Africa. We've been speaking with them, and we're excited about what God is doing there. And uh, it, God is just doing amazing things, and we're just thankful to the Lord. Um, I just want to talk to you briefly today from the idea or, or the, the theme, mingled together. As a matter of fact, why don't you write this down or put this in the uh, comment section of Facebook. Let me know that you're there. I am mingled together with God to express God to creation. I am mingled together with God to express God to creation. My burden in all messages that I preach is to impart into you knowledge of God's holy word. And there are a lot of people who profess a call to ministry or to the pastorate, but will only teach what is pleasing to hear or what will bring them a level of popularity with the people. I find that it's my duty to only preach what God has instructed, even if it turns people away or I offend someone. I jokingly say from time to time that if I'm not offending somebody, then I might want to check my message. Because even in our natural existence, you can't not offend somebody in the climate that we're in. As a matter of fact, political speech is rhetoric that is based upon not offending somebody. But there's somebody out there that doesn't like you, doesn't like what you're about, doesn't like what you believe, doesn't like the way you see things. And in the current climate of the way things are, that has now become an offense. Now, 
it's never my intention to harm. And everything that I do, I do out of love for humanity and for a desire to see God glorified in all people from every walk of life. Let me frame what I'm saying within the context of Scripture. Turn with me to the first book of Timothy, the first chapter. I'm going to read for your hearing the verses 3 through 7. And I will use this as the platform from which I will craft this sermon today. This is what the Lord has given me. The word declares, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some have swerved, tur having turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Now these verses contain two very important expresses, expressions um, as indicated in the Greek language, which is the original language of the New Testament. And these ideas or these expressions are God's economy or the way that God does things and misaimed. God's economy and misaimed. Now, the Apostle Paul was chosen by God to bear the responsibility for God's economy and he trained his spiritual son, Timothy, in uh, this very economy. And it's quite interesting to note that Paul's epistles to Timothy were written at a time when many Christians had begun to drift from the original teachings of the gospel message. They had missed the central mark of God's economy and were paying attention to something totally different. They were mingling together things that were not originally what God had instructed. Now, we are seeing this too often in the modern-day church as well. This is not something from which we've been, uh, you know, uh, immune. It's rampant in today's society. If you look at the church, you can find clearly that people, teachers, pastors, are afraid to teach doctrine. They don't want to tell you really what the word of God says. So there is distractions that are in place that divert the attention of God's people from God's economy. And according to history, two prevailing elements distracted the early Christians from being in correct alignment with what God was saying through his word. Those distractions at that time were Judaism and Gnosticism. Uh, both the Judaizers and the, uh, with their religious doctrines and rituals and the Gnostics with all their varied philosophies deterred the Christian believers from following the Lord in the way that God had laid out. And apparently it was, uh, you know, the good elements of Judaism and Gnosticism that sidetracked these early Christians. And if these elements were not comparatively good, they could never have been prevailing enough to cause the believers to miss the mark of God's economy. For instance, 
the Judaizers strongly stressed the Mosaic law of the Old Testament. Now, there certainly was nothing wrong with the law, or so they believed. And the law was unquestionably right and good and was given directly by God himself. But the law of itself was not related to the mark of God's economy. You see, the law was a mechanism used to show humanity their need for a savior. Gnosticism, from the human point of view, also had its good principles. In fact, it was one of the best inventions of uh, human civilization and was a, a kind of help to the heathen. But the Gnostics tried to bring their philosophy into the church. It distracted the early Christians from the mark of God's economy. It mixed the way man and the way God do things. Even in today, there are those that uh, are, are not Judaizers or Gnostics, but they still disturb us. There are still things that distract us today. For nearly 20 centuries, the devil has not ceased using the seemingly good things to divert believers from following the Lord in correct alignment with what God actually says. And if we spend time with the Lord, we will realize that the enemy is persistent in utilizing even the good things of our Christianity to distract believers from functioning the way God intended for us to function. Now, some of you may be wondering, well, what is the economy of God? What, what does that even mean? Well, the scripture composed of 66 books contains many different teachings. But if we would make a thorough and careful study of the scriptures with spiritual insight, we would realize that God's economy is really simple. It's his plan to dispense himself into humanity. What is God's economy? What is it that God is trying to accomplish? What is it that God is saying? Why is God doing what he's doing the way that he's doing it? The answer is simple. God has a desire to dispense himself into humanity. God's economy is God's dispensation, which means nothing else than God dispensing himself into the human race. I find it regrettable that the term dispensation has been misused by Christianity for many years. Its definition is nearly the same as the Greek word economy itself. It simply means the administrative arrangement, the governmental management, or the dispensing, distributing stewardship of God's plan. In this divine dispension, dispensation, rather, God, who is almighty and all-inclusive, intends to dispense nothing other than himself in his fullness to us, mingled together. You see, God is exceedingly rich. Think about a successful businessman who has an enormous amount of capital. It requires capital to be successful in business, to take anything, to promote it, to build it, to express it, requires capital. God has a business in this universe, and his vast wealth is his capital. 
We do not realize how many billions upon billions upon countless billions that God has. And all of this capital is simply himself. And with it, he intends to manufacture himself in mass production. You see, God's production line is not slowed by the COVID virus. God himself is the businessman. He is himself the capital, and he himself is also the product. His intention is to dispense himself to everybody. He wants to do this in a mass production way. And the best thing about it is it's free of charge. It's because of this that God requires such a divine arrangement, a, a divine management, a divine dispensation, a divine economy in order to bring himself into humanity. Let me be more, more specific. Now that we know that God's purpose is really to dispense himself, we must discover what God is in order to know what he is dispensing. I can't understand what he is dispensing if I don't understand who he is. In other words, what is the substance of God? When a businessman plans to manufacture a product, he must, you know, first of all, be clear about the substance or its basic uh, constituent. God's substance is spirit. If you don't believe me, you can check the text, John 4 and 24. The very essence of the almighty, all-inclusive, universal God is simply spirit. Now, God is the manufacturer. Follow along with me. And he intends to reproduce himself as the product. Therefore, whatever he reproduces must be spirit, the very substance of himself. So there are steps involved in the economy of God. Now, we have seen that God's purpose and what is being dispensed by God, I've explained this, but I have to get you to a place where you realize how God is dispensing this through his economy. In other words, spirit is what God dispenses into man, but now we need to see the means by which he does this. And it's by the Trinity. <laughs> I know that word scares especially Pentecostals, and I, I've never really understood the fear that strikes the heart of a Pentecostal or a Baptist when you use the word Trinity, because Trinity is just an adjective that describes the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, this is the very economy of the Godhead. Christianity during past centuries has had many teachings about the Trinity, but the Trinity can never be adequately understood unless it is related to the divine economy of God. Why are all three persons of the Godhead required for the development of God's economy? Well, we know this, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not three different gods, but they're one God who is expressed in three persons. Yet what is the purpose of there being three persons of the Godhead? Why are there God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? It's because only through the Trinity can the essential means be provided whereby his spirit can be dispensed into us. I know some of you are shaking your head right now trying to figure out where I'm going 
But 2 Corinthians 13 and 14 shows the steps of God's economy through the Trinity or the triunity of God. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Now here we have, in the word of God, the grace of the Son, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now what are these? Are these three different gods? Are love, grace, and fellowship three different items? No. Love, grace, and fellowship are one element, watch this, in three stages. Now I want you to get this. Love is the source. Grace is the expression of the source, which is love. And fellowship is the transmission of the source, which is love in grace. So when you look at God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit, they are one God expressed in three persons. God is the source. Christ is the expression of God. And the Holy Spirit is the transmission bringing God in Christ into man. So the three persons of the Trinity become three successive steps in the process of God's economy. And without these three steps, God's essence could never be dispensed into man. You see, the economy of God is developed from the Father, in the Son, and through the Spirit. So let's talk about from the Father. The step, the first step. You see, God the Father is the universal source of all things. He is invisible and he is unapproachable. So how can God the Father who dwells in an unapproachable light, according to 1 Timothy 6 and 16, be with us? How can we see the Father if the Father be invisible? If God is only a father, he would be inaccessible and could not be dispensed into man. But through the divine arrangement of his economy, he puts himself into his son, which is the second person of the Trinity. He does this in order to make himself available to man. Now, all the fullness of the father dwells in the son. Colossians 1 and 19, Colossians 2 and 9. And that fullness is expressed through the Son, John 1 and 18. Now the Father, as the inexhaustible source of everything, is embodied in the Son. The incomprehensible God is now expressed in Christ. The Word of God, John 1 and 1, the invisible God is revealed in who? Christ. The image of God, Colossians 1 and 15, is all expressed in Christ. So the Son and the Father are one, John 10 and 30. And the Son is even called the Father in Isaiah 9 and 6. Now prior to this step, it was impossible for man to contact the Father. It was exclusively God and his nature was exclusively divine. There was nothing in the Father to bridge the gap between God and man. But now, he's not only embodied himself within the Son, he has also become incarnate in human nature. 
Now, the father was pleased to combine his own divinity with our humanity, and he does this in the son, Jesus. Now, through this incarnation of the son, the unapproachable father has now become approachable to all mankind. It's through this that man can see the father, touch the father, and fellowship with the father through the son. Now, we can demonstrate this relationship by dipping a white handkerchief into some blue dye. The father's divinity could originally be likened to the white handkerchief. This handkerchief dipped into blue dye represents the father in the son becoming incarnate in humanity. You see, the white article has now become blue. And just as blue was added to the handkerchief, so the human nature was added to the divine nature and the once separated natures have become one. The first stage of God dispensing himself into man is through the embodiment and the incarnation of himself in the son as man, reproducing himself in man. So the father puts himself in the son. Now the second step of bringing God into man is through the second person of the Trinity, which is the son of God. And in order to understand the second stage of the economy of God, we need to know what Christ is. What are the elements that make up Christ? What are the ingredients combined together that constitute Christ? Well, there are seven basic elements that make up this wonderful person, six of which were added through his history. First, Christ is the divine embodiment of God. So this first element in Christ is God's divine essence and God's divine nature. The second element, his incarnation, is the mingling of his divine nature with his human nature. He was all man and he was all God. And through his incarnation, he brought God into man and mingled the divine essence of what God is with what humanity is. You see, in Christ, there is not only God, but also man. The third element, which was added to his divine nature and human nature, was his human living. This glorious God-man lived on earth for 33 and a half years and experienced all the common and ordinary things that make up daily human life. Now, the Gospel of John, which emphasizes that he is the Son of God, also tells us that he was tired, he was hungry, he became thirsty, and that he wept, he cried. His human sufferings were also part of his daily life which included many earthly troubles, problems, trials, tribulations, and persecutions, just like us. The Bible declares that he was touched with every infirmity of man, yet without sin. You see, his experience of death is the fourth element. He went down into death, but he not only stepped into death, he passed through death. Now, this produces a very effective death. And we, you might be wondering, what does that mean? As a matter of fact, you ought to put that in to the comment section. The death of Jesus was effective. You see, the death of Adam is terrible. It's chaotic. 
But the death of Jesus is wonderful and it's, an, it, it's effective. Amen. You might be wondering to yourself, well, why? What's the, the difference between the two? Well, the death of Adam enslaved mankind to death. But the death of Christ released us from death. Although the fall of Adam brought many evil elements into us, the effective death of Christ is the killing power within us to slay every evil element of the Adamic nature. So in Christ, there is the divine nature, the human nature, the daily human life with its sufferings, and also the effectiveness of his death. But that's only four. There are three additional elements that I find in Christ. The fifth element is his resurrection. See, after his resurrection, Christ did not put off his manhood to become solely God again. Christ is still a man. And as man, he has the additional element of resurrection life mingled with his humanity. We talked about this in Bible study. I encourage you. Come join us in Bible study. For many good things are discussed. The sixth element in Christ is his ascension. So by his ascension to the heavens, he transcended over all enemies, every principality, all power, dominion, and authority. All are under his feet. Mingled with him, therefore, is the transcendent power of his ascension. Finally, the seventh element in Christ is his enthronement. Christ, the man with the divine nature, is enthroned in the third heaven as the exalted head of all creation itself. He is in the heavenlies as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And we need to remember then the seven wonderful elements that are in him. The divine nature, the human nature, the, da- the daily uh, human life with its earthly sufferings, the effectiveness of his death, the resurrection power, the transcendent power of his ascension, and the enthronement seated at the right hand of God. All these elements are mingled in this one marvelous Christ. Amen. God, however, cannot come into us through the Son. As a matter of fact, if you're a student of the word, you'll remember the text that Jesus himself declared, it is better that I go away. Because if I go away, the spirit can come. You see, according to the first stage of the economy of God, the father places himself in the son. And then the son has the seven elements mingled within himself but we still need another stage, a third and final step for God to dispense himself into man. You have to remember, we started with what God is trying to accomplish. What is his economy? What is his business plan? What is he trying to mass produce? He's trying to mass produce himself. So the first step was the father embodied himself in the son. The second step, was that the Son became incarnate in humanity to have all of the seven wonderful elements mingled within him. And the third step is that both the Father and the Son are now in the Spirit. And all that is in the Father is in the Son, and all that is in the Son and the Father are contained in the Spirit. 
containing all the elements that are in Christ, they're all brought together in the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, after the Lord's ascension, is no longer the same as the Spirit of God during the Old Testament days. When you read the Word of God and you see the text, the Spirit of God, in the Old Testament, it is not the same then as it is in the New Testament. You see, the Spirit of God in the Old Testament only had one element, and that was the divine nature of God. And as the divine spirit, he did not have the elements of the human nature, the daily human life, the effectiveness of death, the resurrection, the ascension, or the enthronement. But today, under the New Testament economy, all the seven elements of Christ have been placed into the spirit. And as such, this all-inclusive spirit has come into us and upon us. In other words, he is in us and we are in him. And this is the real mingling of God with man. I am mingled together with God. See, this allows me to experience God at any time. You see, we are mingled inwardly and outwardly with the Holy Spirit. So what is the Holy Spirit? He is the spirit of truth, John 15 and 26. But then what is truth? Well, the meaning of the Greek word truth is reality. <laughs> reality. Truth and reality. So then the Holy Spirit is the spirit of reality. The Holy Spirit is the reality of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the reality of God. And just as God is embodied in Christ, so Christ is realized in the wonderful person of the Holy Spirit. Christ is not separate from God. And the Spirit is not separate from Christ. Christ is God expressed. And the Spirit is Christ realized in our reality. The Lord is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3 and 17. This verse proves that the Holy Spirit is not separate from Christ. The Lord is Christ himself and is referred to as the Spirit. Now the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 1 Corinthians 15 and 45. And again, the scripture points out that Christ, the last Adam, is the Spirit. So we must admit that this life-giving Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And if we admit that, then God the Father is also the Spirit. John 4 and 24. So then all three persons of the Godhead are Spirit. And if God the Father is not the Spirit, how could he be in us? And how could we contact him, interact with him? Moreover, if God the Son is not the Spirit, how could he be in us? And how could we experience him? But because God the Father and the Son are both spirit, we may easily contact God and experience Christ. Now, this is mind-blowing when you think about it. Look at what the Scripture declares. One God and Father of all who is in all, Ephesians 4 and 6. Jesus Christ is in you, 2 Corinthians 13 and 5. He is spirit who indwells you, Romans 8 and 11. 
Now these three verses reveal that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost are in us. Now how many persons then are in us? Three or one. We should not say that there are three separate persons in us. Nor should we say that only one person is in us. Rather, we should say that the three in us, the three in one is in us. The three persons of the Godhead are not three spirits, but one spirit. The Father is in the Son, and the Son with all his seven wonderful elements is in the Spirit. And when this wonderful Holy Spirit comes into us, the Godhead is then dispensed into us. We now, after the knowledge of Christ, encapsulate the fullness of the Godhead inwardly. Because the three persons are in one spirit, we have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Ghost within us. And as I continue to work through this as God leads, I will show you that the triunity of God is in our human spirit so that we might be spiritual and enjoy a spiritual life. This is the very mark of God's economy. And this is the method whereby the Godhead is dispensed into us. The goal of the divine economy is to dispense the triunity of God in one spirit into the human spirit. And this we must focus on our whole life giving it attention by living by and through the triunity of God that's indwelled in us. The triunity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost who dwells within our human spirit. We are God walking in the earth. We are not God's ourselves, but the God of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords richly lives in us. Amen. Amen. And now if we're distracted from this, however good and scriptural other things may be, we miss the mark of God's economy. You see, the Lord today is recovering his children by causing them to center on this mark of his, of his divine economy. I sense revival of sorts, of God awakening within us the things of himself that we have placed on a shelf and forgotten because of the clutter of foolish wisdom and teachings as well as false truth. There is so much God is showing me, opening up the sight of my mind's eye so that I can see clearly past the distractions that focus on us and refocus my attention upon him. What is the purpose of God creating man in the image of the Godhead in the first place? God wants to see himself as a reflection in everything we are and in everything we do all for his glory. Amen. Everything points back to Genesis. When God had a counsel with himself, he declared, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And therefore he created man and stamped man with his image. Then broken was the image of God upon man because of sin. Thus comes the plan, the mass production, the steps where God could rejoin with us. We could not reach him. 
but he reached us. And he did so in a manner in which allows the original stated purpose of our creation to carry his image by placing in us his spirit. So that in everything we do and in everything that we are, we could be a reflection of him. As I begin to work through this and teach you more about this, I encourage you to tune in week by week. Hear what God is saying. Because if you apply this to your life, it will alter your very life. Too often in the current climate of the church, we've become distracted. We become distracted not necessarily by evil things, but the enemy has distracted us by good things declared in the word of God, but those things are more about us than they are about him. I promise you, Jesus did not come and die just because he was concerned about how much money you have or how many blessings you will have or how healthy you will be in your body. If that was the case, there would be no poverty for any believer. If that were the case, no believer would ever experience sickness. No believer would ever die from cancer if this was the purpose of his coming. But this is not why he came. While there are blessings for every believer, there are things that God intends to give us and to do us, do for us. The most important thing that we have to keep our attention and focus on is what is the foundation upon his coming. And that was to restore relationship with us so that we might again carry him into all creation. You see, before we can ever have dominion, we have to look like the creator. You see, prior to God giving us the command to have dominion over creation, he first created us to look like him. Why? So that everything in creation would see him in us and respond to his authority, not our authority. Amen. You see, the authority that we wield, we wield because God is in us. Prior to the fall, God was in us, expressed in and through us because we were like him. We were his expression in creation. Man lost control. Jesus restored that control, that authority. Why? Because he restored the image of himself upon us. You cannot have dominion if you do not look like Jesus. I encourage you, bear with me 
I want to break this down as easily and simply as I can. My mind is so filled with this treasure trove of truth that God wants to declare to us so we can stop living subservient lives to the flesh and operate in the authority of our identity in him. God bless you. Know that I love you and I'm praying for you. May God grant to you great peace throughout this week. And I encourage you, come meet with us in Detroit. For that city shall not be the same once we leave. I thank God for you. And know that I'm praying for you. Make it an awesome Sunday in the Lord.